What's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of the Dragzine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Editor Brian Wagner, and this week we have someone super special on the show, literally NHRA royalty and pro stock racing legend, KJ, Kurt Johnson. Kurt, what's going on? Oh, shoot. Great to be here, Brian. Thanks. Definitely awesome to have you on the show, and uh, it's kind of a, a trip for me in this case because growing up as a kid, I was one of those people that was standing on the outside of the rope bugging you for an autograph, and now here I am all these years later interviewing you as part of my job. It's uh, it's kind of crazy, man. There you go. There you go. You've probably seen that first six-second run, man. I was not at Indy for the, or uh, at Jersey for that, but I definitely remember when that happened, how big of a deal that was. Yeah, yeah it was huge back then. Yeah, let, let's uh, – that, that's something I definitely want to uh, to touch on and talk about for sure because that's kind of part of a uh, part of your legacy. Well, heck, let, let, let's talk about it right now. You know, that was your what second year professionally racing, and you rip off that pass. Looking back at that now, after all these years later, and how the class has progressed, you know, what's that mean to you? Well, it was kind of it was kind of interesting leading up to it because. You actually made points for the top eight pro stock cars in in the country, and uh, Dad had two good motors, and you know I was running the stuff I had, which you know there was nothing wrong with it, but he definitely had a set of heads that was better than than the set in my car, and you know asked him, I said, you know, we're going into this shootout thing, uh, I might need that set of heads right there, and he sniveled a little bit. It wasn't too bad, but uh, I put that set of heads on and and. Uh, I remember when we landed, uh, it was Thursday afternoon, something like that, and it was sleeting, it was cold, it was like 38 degrees, and I thought, man, this place, if it dries up, we get down the racetrack, I said, this is, this is going to be fast here, and uh, sure enough, it was, so we, we shook on the first run, went out there, and, you know, we were aggressive, we were going for it, we wanted to do the first, and, and uh, came back and actually detuned the car, and absolutely perfect straight run put it right in the six and six ninety eight on a ninety six fifty four. So then we came back the next night and uh I think they doubled up. It was uh, I had to run Osborne in the final for the, the pro stock shoot. I think it was a it was a slick fifty Budweiser deal is what it was. And uh we ended up winning that and then we went to the semifinals for the race and shook. Um we got Holly's money which was twenty five grand and I think the whole total for that weekend was like 91000 So that's pretty good back there in, in 94, you know? Yeah, I was going to say back in 94. I mean, that's a lot of money now, but back in 94, that was like, that's big time money in the world of drag racing. Shoot, yeah, we'll take ninety-one grand right now if we could. Yeah. Yeah, that it, it's amazing to, you know, when you look back at the pro stock class, and if you told someone that's, you know, a relatively, you know, younger person or new to drag racing that you didn't break into the sixes until you know the early 90s they might be relatively shocked you know what what did it take to make it to that point because that was definitely a monumental task well you know the components get better the rubber gets better the tires get fatter they get wider um you know the quality of, of valve springs camshafts everything everything adds up to that run right there and, uh, you know, there's no big gains in this class, or never really has been, but uh, you just got to put that whole combination together and hook it up and go, and and uh, it's quite the run. Yeah, that's, again, for me, what I like about Pro Stock is, you know, Nitro and Power Adder cars, they're cool, they're fun, they're loud. It's like, I always tell people, that's carpet bombing something. Pro Stock is precision munitions where you are just measuring everything out, like, it's like a machinist. You check everything, check all the tolerances multiple times to be able to pull off these runs because literally if you want to be fast in this class, you have to be perfect on every run. Pretty much. I mean, you got what they call limitations, and everybody's out there trying to do the same thing with the same parts. And, uh, you know, the guy that does it the best or is luckiest is in the winter circle that day. Now, now back in the 90s, and when you raced as well, I've always heard these rumors and wild stories about all the experimentation, you know, 
crate, you know, crates and rooms full of valve springs, people messing with stuff like that. What can you tell some of the truths behind that? What you guys used to do back in, you know, in those days in the carb days to really try to get the most out of those engines? Well, it was it was more or less just burning gas on the dyno, twisting wrenches, changing parts, whether it's camshafts, cylinder heads, pistons, rods, rings you know, oil pans, whatever. You take that motor and you go top to bottom. Carburetors were a big thing. We probably got 60 sets of carburetors upstairs at this place right now. And uh, it, it was the whole package. And Actually, we didn't have a dyno until 1986 or 88. And that's when we were in, uh, in Buford over here behind Jerry Brown Chevrolet. And then we moved into this building in 89 and, you know, just started, started wearing all parts. And that's that's where you make all that power. And once you make that power, you got to take it out to the track and and apply it. You know, see if it's any good, and make sure it accelerates and goes down the racetrack. And you know, you take one thing on the dyno and go out to the racetrack, and you might have fifteen, twenty runs perfecting it. Yeah, because it really comes down to the fact that you know the the dyno only tells part of the story. It's like, yeah, it made more horsepower, but now how are we going to you know, like you said, smooth and perfect that horsepower? It's a lot like a it's a lot like finishing body work, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. It's all in the detail work is where it's at. And you, know, you, you, t- you take the you take the big piece, and then then you you know you, you see if it's any good to start with, and then you start rubbing on it, and and uh, you know you end up with a jewel, pretty much. Is that something where the kind of engine development that you guys have to you know did and continue to do, where you have to really not necessarily? You always hear the phrase "think outside of the box." That really can't apply to what you guys do because you have to look at every component and try to figure out a way to make it go faster. Yeah, you, uh, you know, it's, it's it's just strange that you look at the same part for twenty five or thirty years, and you know the way you looked at it back when you when you first started out is totally different than the way you look at it now, just from the fact that you've learned from other things, other progressions you've made, you know, during that process and. And uh, it's it's that's what's fun about this sport, this this profession. It's uh, the way you did things, you know, 25, 30 years ago. You're doing them different now, even though you're doing the same thing. You just, you know, whether it's the order you're doing it in, or or the style, or you know, however you're doing it, it's not the same. It, everything's always changing. Yeah, because I'm sure technology, you know, just throws interesting curveballs you because it, it again it ties into what you're saying like you do things differently now and something with you know a new technological advancement a company you know when your vendors comes out with you got to tear into that and figure out well how can we you know really bend this to fit to what we do it's called paying attention that's for sure yeah and is that something where i, I know that you guys have worked with you know the oes on on certain things where a vendor have you helped other vendors kind of mold what they're doing based on what you've seen and developed products that people might not necessarily know that there's a racing like thumbprint on it. Well, everything everything starts out somewhere, and uh, you know, fortunately, uh, we've been able to help manufacturers, you know, finesse their parts. Uh, they'll send us something. We'll come up with an idea. Let's build this. We'll build that, and they'll send it to us, and we'll run it, and. You know, you got to be totally honest with them. You know, whether it's good, whether it's bad, what it what it does, how long it lasts, cycle time, all that stuff. Um, you got to be, you know, real forward with them and, and say, hey, this is what we got. You know, how do we make it better? Or, you know, hey, this is a home run. Like, let's make it better yet, though. Yeah, that's it's interesting when you talk to manufacturers and it's you know they, they kind of express how product development goes through. And then you talk to like, you know, someone like Tom Bailey, a drag wheat guys, and then they go to, uh, you know, these companies and they talk about what they're trying to do with these parts. And a lot of times these companies are just, they're borderline shocked what racers will figure out and do with their parts. Like, that wasn't even designed to do that. <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll push it to the limit, that's for sure. Yeah. A very a determined racer is a great product tester because they're going to find a way to wring every inch of performance out of something and probably break it in ways an engineer can never imagine. That's exactly what I was going to say. They'll find the weak point of it. Yeah, and you know, leave some guy that's got a 
doctorate in mechanical engineering scratching his head going, that's that's insane and entertaining all at the same time. Right. It wasn't supposed to do that, but now we're in the real world. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That, that's, again, like you, you, you mentioned before, the, the beauty and the interest of the sport is you, you, you're you always trying to find a way. A, a good racer is trying to find a way to solve the puzzle box and build a better mousetrap. And that requires you to really, you know, think and not just you can't just throw your wallet at something. You got to really think about how you're going to apply what you're building. And that's even more true in pro stock. Absolutely. It's that the more I dig into this class and I talk to the, to the racers current form, it, it never ceases to amaze me the the levels that you guys would go to to really perfect what you're trying to do from the engine, even to the chassis setup and how important that was. What what really is something that might kind of surprise some of our listeners that you guys would do to make sure a car was just 100% optimized? Uh, pay attention to the racetrack. You know, you got to look at the racetrack you're on so that you can apply what you have. Um, there's there's no magic cube. You know, it's 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 what you have on on that Friday or Saturday or Sunday that you got to be better than everybody else. You know, these things just didn't pick up a half a second at one time. They just gradually got faster and faster and faster. And, you know, these, these motors are making right at 1,500 horsepower, which is three horsepower per cubic inch. So, you know, they're they're at their peak, that's for sure. It's, it's not as easy as it used to be. No, and, and kind of pivoting off of that, you know, you, you started out in this, this whole deal as is the family business, helping your dad, mom, kind of, building the program, sheep, you know, working in the shop and whatnot. What was it like growing up in a family like that, in an environment where, you know, racing was the job? My job was we only had one set of tools, and I'll never forget. So we had the straight truck, which the car went in the back, and and there was uh, – we actually slept in there and, you know, got a hotel room every now and then, but – we had to load up. I had to load up the toolbox because we only had one set of tools. The tools we used in the shop, we had to put them in the red toolbox, and two of us would carry that and put it in the truck. Well, you get to the racetrack, and dang, where's the nine sixteenths wrench, right? Because we had to, I had to load every tool we had, whether it's ratchets, Allen wrenches, drills, whatever. I put them in that toolbox, and when you get to the track and you don't have the wrench you need. It's like, dang. So you get back to, you think about it all the way back, you know, where, wherever you're at, whether you're at Indy or, you know, Denver, Colorado or whatever, you think about it all the way back. Where in the heck is that wrench at? Sure enough, there it is, right behind the grinder. Got stashed there somehow, and, and that's, that's just the way we race, though. So, you know, we, we just had to do whatever it took, load everything up and, and go race and come back and unload the truck and do it all over again. Now, did you did you guys do a lot of match racing back in the day that you know a lot of the the pro stock guys used to do in between events? We did UDRA racing there originally, and and that turned into uh, some AHRA stuff, and then did a little bit of NHRA stuff, and then went IHRA, and that's when Dad won the first two championships in '79 and '80, if I remember right, and then from there. Uh, took off on the NHRA stuff about 82, 83, 84 with the Hersholes, Cutlasses and stuff. Now, you know, there's a lot of racers that they have kids that just, they never follow the sport, they follow a different passion. And then, you know, there, there's guys like you and, the, you know, the Force family where they're just, they're in, they're just, they're in. Do you remember what really kind of hooked you to say, you know what, I want to do this as my living, just like the rest of the family? You know, was there a particular moment? No, I dug it the whole time, you know, going to the track and and working on this stuff and tuning it. You know, when we first started racing, we didn't have computers until 1985, so all the tuning you did was seat of the pants, eyeball, uh, maybe a video or something you could watch, but nothing as far as the computers told you anything until around 85-ish. And uh, so that's, you know, that's what really was intriguing, that you make an adjustment on the car was a four-link adjustment or shock adjustment, and you could see it on a starting line and then really see it on the ET slip. So that was, that was actually the fun part. The tuning part was, was actually the best, and 
you know, driving the truck only lasted for a little while. It's like, shoot, I might as well drive the race car. No, let's go. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's part of the adventure, getting from event to event. I always tell people that there's there's three things. There's the going to the event part, there's the event, and then there's the driving home. I'm like, each of those are their own separate adventures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't matter how much horsepower you have or how fast your race car is if the truck can't get there. No, 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 definitely not. And It's interesting, too, that, you know, you kind of laid out the timeline of, you know, the, the family racing and whatnot, you know, looking back upon all that now to where pro stock has kind of started from and gone to, what's it been like to watch and be a part of that transformation? What What's the biggest thing that really is kind of like a, an oh wow moment for you? Mm, no, I think it's, it's, it's still pretty exciting. You know, it's still pretty oh wow, you know, seeing how fast these cars are going and, and what you have to put into them. Um, testing wise and, and crew wise and people wise, I mean it's 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 definitely a full time job that uh, no stones unturned. You know you gotta if you're gonna be up front, if you're gonna win, you gotta make sure that you're on your game. No matter whether it's the driving or the the engine or the chassis, you know it's it's just it's just the whole combination. It's it's always kind of fun. I love nostalgia pro stock racing. That's I'm really going to try to make some of those events this year, especially after being at PRI and seeing, you know, one of your dad's old cars there and seeing some of the old, other old cars that were the, the, the replicas ones that the, the way that the, the, the class has just progressed and over the years and the way it just really uses technology is something that really fascinates me. And what was it like being a part of all those technology technological changes, you know, from the original, old school kind of four speed style transmissions to what's being run today. It's definitely a rocket ship on asphalt yeah. compared to the way it, you know, started out as, um, just, just the thing's fast, you know, it's, it's, it's a good ride. It's fast. It's, uh, you know, you look at where the tires have gone and the wheels and the chassis and, and you know, how safe you are in the car. Um, I think. See, I had a I had a nine point uh, seat belt in my car, so the back belts kind of went below the shoulders. Were and then I had two more that were basically horizontal. Because if you only had one set, you could go up, and if you only had the other set, you could go forward. So I I designed a system in my car that it, it was actually a nine point system, and I jumped in there one day and it's like, man, it keeps taking longer and longer and longer to get, you know all buttoned up in this thing. I think I counted 23 moves I had to make, whether it was plugging in your your uh, your radio system or your lap belts or, you know, just every every move you made, there was like 23 motions before you were all seated up, ready to go. That, that's something I think a lot of people don't understand or maybe realize that what goes in, like you said, keeping these cars safe and getting into them. It's not just a matter of, you know, jumping in and clicking a seatbelt. There's a lot that goes on to really get ready to make a run. Absolutely, and and you're locked in there. I mean, it's it's you're solid in that car. You you feel as safe as ever. Um, and like I say, it's it's a good ride. Now you know, kind of going off of that, you, you know, you you crewed on your dad's car, crew chief at one point. Then you eventually transitioned into driving yourself. What was that? like going from being the person that was in front of the car to being the one inside the car, you know, making, making the runs. That was awesome. Put a smile on your face at the finish line. That's for sure. And then, I don't know, I, I guess I was fortunate for the fact that I didn't start driving until 93, but then I ran the dyno from 86, 87 to 93. So I had a good, I had a good ear, good feeling, um, you know, sense of what the motor was like before I even jumped in there. Oh, yeah, I could imagine that that plays a big role. Because I've, I've seen some newer pro stock drivers kind of, for lack of a better term, sometimes struggle with just doing a burnout and making these cars do what they want to do because they are so incredibly touchy. Yeah, it, uh, you know, I'm sure it depends on, on the fuel map, on, on how the burnout, you know, is, is whether it's, easy or not easy but uh you know once you get used to it you know once you 
you, you test and you make a bunch of laps and I mean that thing fits you like a glove and, and you know what to expect uh, you know what it sounds like you know when it's right you know when it's wrong and um, you know it's Somebody that just jumps in one of these cars is not going to do it right off the bat, I'll tell you that. Oh, no. It's always, I think, you know, when I, I talk to a lot of the, the racers that have, you know, spun the wrenches and been a crew guy, then jumped into the into the driver's seat, that that made such a huge difference in their ability to be a top-level driver. You know, and that's true for a nitro car, but that has to really take it to the next level in pro stock just because of how precise you have to be with these cars and it gives you that extra understanding of what the car does and what it needs to do right oh absolutely absolutely I, you know if if we were to go back out there you know, your best crew chief is somebody that's driven one of these cars before because they can they can relate to it well yeah look at what uh you know i believe it's uh, yates is crewing for camry and her family and i mean you know she's a talented driver but i'm sure having someone like jim back there helping out you know definitely uh, has spurred the process on pretty significantly mm -hmm. definitely cuz it's it, again it, it's such a precise line that you drive with these cars and you know from when you started driving to when you've you know kind of started to transition out for the time being what was the biggest change that the, the cars themselves went through Keeping the front end on more than anything, because back in the day these cars would wheel stand. Oh yeah, they were they were they were fun to drive, and uh, you know compared to compared to the runs that you used to make back in the early '90s, compared to the runs now, it, people probably say they're boring right now. Yeah, that that was one of the things that I think I remember that the NHRA was trying to encourage when they made some recent pro stock rule changes. They wanted more wheelies, which, you know, wheelies are, are fun to a certain point, but they also are kind of, uh, they throw a big uh, wrench in the performance side of things. Well, I'm kind of prejudiced, you know. The thing that impresses me is, is that number that's put on the board. And, uh, you know, I... I I know what to expect on the run, so you know you watch you watch some runs and you say, "Man, that's a good run," or, or "That's a bad run." But you know the number on the board is is what uh, where I'm impressed. Yeah, and, and it, I'm sure that you know that you're looking at the ET, but the the first thing you're really looking at is probably that mile an hour because that tells you how much rip that engine's making. Yeah, I don't know. The ET is is what I go for first, but uh, you know it's it's tough with with the limiters that they have now that. Uh, you know, you could be running 212 at 1,310 feet and only 209 at, at the number that you get on the board because it hits the limiter. So, you know, you gotta you got to keep an eye on, on actually what's going on out there, whether it's on a limiter or not. So Now, you've, you know, stacked up an impressive resume of wins, you know, accolades and everything else. You know, a couple U.S. national wins, pro stock challenge wins. Which of those wins out of all the trophies you have means the most to you? Yeah, the two indie ones were good. You know, I put together 40 wins, uh, 40 trophies here in my office. And, and uh, you know, you always look at the first one in Seattle. You look at the six-second run in, in uh, Englishtown in 1994. And then, you know, you look at the back-to-back -back two indie wins and, you know, even even the last one in in 2011, you know, it was a good race. We ran fast. We kept our heads screwed on straight, and and uh, ended up winning in in Charlotte. But uh, you know, it's just it's just more or less having good seasons. Even 2003, uh, I had a Cavalier that I told everybody to go down the dirt road, and I think we put together 49 round wins that season. You know, it's stuff that you remember. <laughs> Yeah, and the the indie wins for me always seem to kind of stick out on a racer's resume because, you know, the Winter Nationals, you know, and the NHRA Finals are big in some people's opinions, but, like, indie just it, – it's so hard to describe unless you go to that event, the feel that you have when you roll up on there during that event that how, you know, the electricity in there, it, it's on a different level. Well, it's, it's a big endurance race too, uh you know, being there for that extra day, and, you know, the big run was always on that Friday night, because that was the first run, and, you know, the track was a little bit cooler, but, uh, yeah, to roll through the gate at Indy, and, you know, I don't know, what, seven, eight hundred cars, and, 
you know, everybody's jacked up, everybody's excited, and, and uh, you know, you're there a day early, and it's just it's just a huge endurance race that, uh, you know, and it ends on Monday, so it ends a day late, and it's just it's just a different race. And, yeah, to win Indy in, in you know, back-to-back fashion, 96-97, is definitely a highlight. And that that's also during that interesting era. I remember growing up when there would be, you know, 30 to 40 plus pro stock cars at events and that, you know, qualifying wasn't a guarantee in it. There was a lot of tough independent guys and, you know, you never knew who was going to show up and really be able to throw up a number that, you know, normally wouldn't necessarily be a, a touring pro. Right. And then first round was, you know, there was always some big upset there too, that, you know, one of the better qualified cars would get beat by, by somebody slower and, and, uh, and he's crazy. It's always been crazy. Yeah, I I really enjoy going there just to watch stock and super stock class racing because of how excited those racers get because that's their Super Bowl, World Series, NHRA finals, NBA finals all rolled into one for them. Well, and, and then they're, they're taken away from their livelihood. They're leaving their job for a week. They're not going to get paid. So, you know, if they can, if they can go there and, and – do good maybe make a buck or two and and walk away with the trophy and the prestige it's it's definitely a highlight for sportsman guys oh yeah definitely and you, like you, you mentioned the the upsets earlier that kind of what happened that event and that i think also plays into another interesting way to look at kind of the, the competitive side of things is in racing especially in drag racing it's a very it's a one-on-one sport mano a mano who was the one person throughout your career that you just would go on a next, you would elevate your game to the next next level because you wanted to beat them just that badly. Mm, I kind of treated everybody like that, but me and Jaggy had some good races. I think I went to the first seven final rounds we raced in. I beat them seven in a row. Oh, he didn't beat me till the eighth race, and you know he's he's one of the best out there. And, uh, you know, granted, there was some luck in some of those races, but uh, I definitely have to raise my game when I raced him. Yeah. And on the flip side of that, was there any, you know, there's racers I'm probably sure that when they saw you that they knew that they had to raise their game to that next level. Is that what kind of drove you to have that mindset of you raced everybody like they were the best no matter what? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you know, when you slam those doors on that car and, and you're the only one there, it's, it's kind of like a Olympic swimmer, you know, you're by yourself. And, and uh, it's, it was exciting. I love the driving part of it. Um, and you get some self-satisfaction out of the whole deal. Oh, yeah, especially when you have a big hand in tuning the car and doing that whole deal. Seeing the, the entire process go from the beginning to the wind light, it's, it's, it's a big satisfaction kind of process. Now, again, you're one of the things I like talking about people like you is you got to race during that era where there were so many, you know, stars. You know, the 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 old school guys were still actively winning and whatnot. Who was some of the more interesting people you got to race with? You know, was it a Bob Glidden, a Daryl Alderman type? Who who were some of the characters you got to interact with? Yeah, Glidden was always a good one, you know, because he was always he was similar to us hard-headed and work his ass off and and then quit until it was done and and you know i only raced him for a few years but uh there's a lot of good racers out there that uh you know kept their nose to the grindstone and when you pull up against them you better be on your a game and you know and if you're not you know somebody else is gonna get you yeah that's again that's what what's even in you know you watch the modern pro stock era kind of how just so dialed in these cars have to be is that there there is literally no margin for error at all no there's they're so close out there right now that everybody's got to be perfect on their game and and you know the big notebooks and the people with experience uh you know tend to stay ahead of the game a little bit as far as that goes but uh no there's there's it's extremely close i can't believe how close it is out there and, and Everybody's on the tree, and and looks like one big headache. 
<laughs> it looks like something where you you're like, I want to dip my toe in, but eesh, you know that, that that looks like that's going to be a lot more work than I want to deal with currently. <laughs> yeah, you better have the people, and you better have the the pocketbook to do it. Yeah, that's the the people side of things is what I think makes motorsports interesting because everybody focuses on on the machine, which the machine is a big side of it, but the people side is equally important and if not more important who are some of the cool people you know the the important the people side of the things that you've got to work with over the years to help you and your family be successful you know crew guys people like that well you got to look at who's putting that machine together it's the people yeah so i I worked with a lot of good people actually uh i think there was 14 of us here at, at one point when we were hot and heavy and running two cars but uh you know greg was a big portion of our our success and and uh you know there's a lot of people went through here that you know we come up with a lot of we're innovators and we came up with a lot of things like clutch stops and and you know stuff like that that what what do we need to to fix this and sure enough you know here we go i remember dad we he pushed the clutch in it's like how far do you push it in and this is back in in the early 80s and he said well I, I push it in and then i start bringing it out i said well there's no consistency there and we built this stop and he wanted to have like a rubber bumper at the end of the stop so that he says if the car starts creeping i want to be able to push it in farther i said well that's not going to be very consistent either so we built the stop and you know we built it solid and gave that clutch whatever it was eighty thousand air gap Sure enough consistency went to the moon he was much better driver see that's that's the kind of stuff i like hearing the the, the stories and the interactions about the, the the innovations that happen you know I, I did a story about rob winland and you know the 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 blower dyno that austin coil built that you know something that most people had no idea existed to to solve those problems you know, what are some of the other things you guys had to do to be innovative to really improve the performance of a car that might surprise our listeners? No, it's just it was you know it was just a little bit of everything. Everything everything got fixed. Whether it was you know a transmission a vice to hold your transmission that you could service it faster rather than rolling it around on the ground, or you know a, a a spark plug index or everybody would you know write a certain number on the spark plug i came up with one donut and i made it into four quadrants and i could use that one donut to to index every motor in the shop because every every spark plug i'd put my number on there and then i know what the cylinder head needed so instead of having all these different trays with all these indexing systems i just had one little donut that i spin the spark plugs on but you know, just little stuff like that that, you know, makes huge differences. Oh, yeah. That's that's one of the cool things I like when I'm at an event and I'm in, you know, the team's pits kind of watching them work on stuff and seeing the innovative tools that teams come up with and create to make their job easier, especially in the nitro pits because those guys are, you know, building engines every second they have. You know, it seems like every second of the day that you have to be able to be efficient to make that stuff work right. Absolutely, you got to be spot on. Time is money. Yeah, definitely. When you got you know seventy minutes to service an engine, which still blows me away to watch that happen each and every time. I'm sure you guys are happy you didn't have to uh, do that on a regular basis. No, it's it's crazy. It takes ten, twelve guys to to perform like that. Yeah, there's been times where I've seen a pro stock team think that there was something wrong, and they're not even going to tear in the engine. They're like, all right, well, let's just put a fresh one in. We'll we'll deal with this later. Absolutely, it was 2000. What year was it? I think it was 2003 when I had to run Jeffrey on first round, and I qualified 15th at Chicago, and he qualified second, and I ended up beating him on a whole shot. And going into second round, I had to put eight valve springs on. Well, I get to the last cylinder, and I stick the hose in there, and it's leaking 80. percent It's like, oh my god, you couldn't do this on the first cylinder, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sure enough, put a motor in in like 35 minutes. Ended up winning a race that weekend. Yeah, Th- that that's what blows me away. Is it's easier and quicker for you guys to swap the engine than it is to solve what could potentially be wrong. Mm-hmm. 
absolutely. And th- that that again, it comes down to that precision level because I'm sure once you guys start getting elbow deep in one of those engines, that little uh, that little devil on your shoulder that's talking about the precision, the consistency, and everything else, he's he's freaking out because he's seeing all these things that are have to get changed. Well, it's it's just preparation, you know, more than anything. You got to be prepared when you pull through that gate. Yeah. Yeah, that, that definitely makes a, a massive difference. And, it, it, again, it, it plays into the completely different animal that pro stock is. And you, you mentioned a lot of people might not know this, that Greg Anderson did work with you guys for a very long time. What's it been like to kind of watch him progress through his career and become one of the best ever? Yeah, he was. He worked for us for like 11 years, I think. And, uh you know, he wanted to drive. He had he had the he had the drive to drive, and you know that got him going. And and he hooked up with Ken Black, and had the right financial situation, and and put the right group of people together. And you know, it, it's it's fun to watch him do what he's doing. And and you know, it was it was better to beat him on the racetrack. I enjoyed racing him. Yeah. Well, he Greg reminds me a lot of just like the 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 classic old school drag racer just there to do the job knows the car inside and out you know he's not just someone that just flies and throws on the fire suit and you know let's go the clutch he's in there really working on that car and you know understands how it works front to back well that's how he enjoys himself yeah he has fun doing it you know we all twist wrenches and you know if if we didn't like twisting wrenches we wouldn't do it and it's kind of like putting a puzzle together and and Seeing what it looks like at the end when you when you're standing there with that trophy, and, and you know, speaking of standing there with the trophy, I think when it's all said and done, when he and Eric Enders both retire, that I think that is going to be that's going to go down as the greatest rivalry in drag racing history, in my opinion. Yeah, it. Uh, you know, anything that lasts long enough, I guess. I guess you know you can write a book about it, but. Uh, they they definitely go head to head and and they're on they're both on their game they're both good drivers and got good teams and and uh, cream of the crop I guess you'd say yeah it's 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 again it's the parity between those two and the way that they are just they're both driven and it's it's funny to watch them interact because you could tell that they're they're being cordial because you know it's the professional thing to do but you know when three bulbs are lit inside their head each of them are thinking I'm gonna tear this person in half and win and giggle doing it. Yeah, I mean, that's really what you have to do to stay at that level is kind of have that mentality, especially in pro stock. Right, they bring they bring out the best of each other, that's for sure. You know, who's some of the more impressive drivers out there right now, kind of taking a look back? If you, if you were being a, a pro stock scout, who, who are the drivers that really kind of grab your attention these days? I think all those the two quadra kids are doing a real good job. Um you know, it's it's just a matter of matter of testing. You know, anybody could be a good driver. It's just a matter of going out there and, and making laps and getting comfortable in the car, and knowing what the car is going to do in certain situations, and and just being ready and prepared for for whatever happens. The, the Quadra family is interesting to watch because I got to see them down in Orlando during uh, the World Race. The that uh, the pro stock deal at West Buckton they did a few years ago, World Door Slammer Nationals. And they are 110%, like you said, spinning wrenches, doing the clutches and whatnot. I interviewed one of them for the live broadcast as he was like doing the clutch. He's, you know, talking to me, not skipping a beat. And you'd think that some people might stumble doing that, make a mistake. No, he went out the next round and just, you know, demolished somebody else. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's awesome to watch them work as a family. Well, it's, it's, the process starts between the ears, I guess you'd say. And uh, as long as they can keep that cool and, and maintain and, and pay attention all at the same time, they'll prove themselves on the racetrack, that's for sure. Yeah. Now, I've had a few people ask, you know, when I, I said, you know, I'd be interviewing you, they're like, man, what, what's Kurt and what, what are they doing these days? So kind of, you know, tell us, you know, what, what you got going on now? You know, what, what are you doing to stay busy? I was just torquing a, a cylinder head on a 500-inch pro stock motor when you called. <laughs> so you, you're still spinning the wrenches, building the engines, right? 
only got one on. I better go get the other one on. Because <laughs> that thing will be on the dyno tomorrow. Uh, between that and, I mean, we've, we've, we've kept up the pace as far as the R&D with this 500-inch stuff. So with the right amount of money, uh, you know, we wouldn't be scared to jump back in. We, I feel we could put the people together and, and, and put a program together. But you and I both know what it takes, and, and it, it's going to take some money to do it. Yeah, it's funny. I was reading some some articles, you know, to kind of study up on, you know, you and to have some good questions to ask. And I I saw that, you know, during the the last race in Atlanta, a lot of people were trying to kind of get you and your father to come back out. And you both were very adamant about saying that, you know, you just weren't going to come out just to show up and, you know, do the old hand wave and, 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 you know, make a couple passes. If you guys were going to show up, it was about showing up to win. Yeah, I've, the level that we performed at before to go out there and, and just have fun and, and, you know, sign autographs, if we went out there, we want to win. So it'd take a matter of, you know, putting a program together, going out there and test. Like I said, I feel we got the power, but we've got nothing to prove. We just want to go out there and win if we, if we went out there. If you're going to go out there, you're going to make it worth the time. And that plays And again. You guys are still developing a lot of stuff. Is that just kind of on your own accord? Or do people just come to you guys and with wild ideas and want to try to make something happen? And that's kind of what you guys are doing out of this development. Yeah, it was, you know, it's still all our stuff. And, and nobody's really paying for us to, to keep this 500-inch stuff going. But, you know financially it's not really costing us a whole lot and and dad's still entertained with with tweaking on cylinder heads and and uh looking at dyno numbers so you know we got other small projects in here ls projects and fuel injected ls stuff that uh, we've been working on and you know just side projects and go back to the 500 inch stuff every now and then and like i say i'll have one on the dyno tomorrow so it'll be interesting to see what it does we make some changes and see if we're any good See, now that would be – I would love to see your guys' take when people would bring different combinations to you to see you get your hands on it and start playing with it because you, the the experiences you guys have and that, you know, that, that excitement of having a new puzzle to play with, right? Oh, absolutely. It's like, how is that piece going to fit in there, you know? Yeah, it's – you know, I always tell people that for me it's very hard – to not want to modify any vehicle I own because it's just your mindset when you are into this kind of lifestyle that you can't not modify anything. You're always looking for ways to improve something or make it faster. That's what pro stock's always been about. You know, you, you got one problem and you got 10 people looking at it and you're going to have 10 different ways to skin that cat. Now, if you guys did have, you know, someone like, you know, let's say like one of your old sponsors, like GM kind of show back up and say, Hey, we're gonna, let's do this. Let's make it happen. You got, how quickly would you guys, do you think you'd be able to spin it up? And would you be willing to do a whole tour again? It'd take us about a month and that'd be it. That'd be on the outside. That'd be, might be able to do it faster than that, but, uh, you know, I could probably do it for one or two more years. See, I I think that that would be amazing to see because especially the way that the, the class continues to change, and that that kind of brings me to my next question here is you know what what's your take on this whole move to EFI and you know how much have you guys been able to play with that? Um, well, we actually got started with that back when they initialized it in 2016 uh, with Hartford and stuff and and. Uh, from where it started to where it is now, it's, it's it's it wasn't even close back when we started. It's 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 big time now as far as power wise, um, and it it's it's taken a lot of work. It's it's taken a different perspective and and changing, making a bunch of changes and and just staying with it. So, you know, 2016 was a while back, and and uh, you know we've got a few dinosaurs on all this stuff that. Uh, I think it would run run really well. When I had your dad on the show, he said one of the most profound and interesting things that I've heard in a while, and I've used this before when talking to other people, is that he said that 
EFI is nothing more than electronic jets on a carburetor. That's all like he just broke it down and said it's, you know, to its core made it simple. And I think that again is just shows his level of thinking and genius able to work around this kind of stuff that he understands and you guys understand how that it it's still the same deal. You know, air and fuel go in, horsepower comes out. So all you gotta do is light it off. Light it off at the right time with the right amount and, and uh that's exactly what it is. It's it's a lot easier to work on than carbureted stuff. Um you can put the fuel where you want it, when you want it, how much you want. And uh it's actually it's actually fun to deal with. I was going to say that that's like an engine tuner and builder's dream is to have that level of control and precision. And, you know, what's what's that been like for you to see that progression and be able to start playing with that technology in, in the 500 cubic inch stuff? Well, we did some 500 inch stuff back from Mercury Marine back in 1991. Oh. And I'll, ne- I'll never forget because, you know, if we had to make a change on a carburetor, you'd have to go in that smoky dyno room and, and it was hot and mess with the carburetors and take them off or whatever you had to do we run this these boat motors that we built them and i'd sit in the sit in my office right here in my the dyno consoles in my office i'm looking at it right now and i'd leave that dyno room door shut and i make some changes to the fuel map not even go in there and sure enough you know whether i had to lean it or rich it or whatever i had to do you could see the change you make the change you could see the how it responded to it, and you didn't have to breathe any nasty smoke or get burned by headers or nothing. It was, it was so simple. Technology is a beautiful thing, right? And that was 1991, yeah. That, that That's crazy. I didn't know you guys were doing boat motors and stuff like that. Is that something where people just bring you these different ideas and projects and you just be able to play with all kinds of fun new technologies? Yeah, I think we did two of them, and then, you know, they – they did a cookie cutter deal on them where they just copied them, and uh, yeah, that was back in shoot, that was before I started driving in '91. So it was an interesting project. Now, you know, you said you'd be willing to go back, you know, and drive for a couple more years. Have you ever thought about or entertained maybe being a crew chief for any teams? Um, yeah, I have. Um, you know whether whether I'd do it. You know, it depends if 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 everything was the way I wanted it. You know. Yeah, that's. And, I was gonna say go. That, that, that's where I started out when I was crew chief on on Dad's car, and then Greg came on, and then I was crew chief on on Jeffrey on stuff and and Beverly stuff when when Don drove for that that year. We won a couple races, Denver and Atlanta, and all that. That's you know that's. When I was doing all the tuning and, and winning races and figuring out what was right and what was wrong and what we could get by with and what we couldn't, you know. That would be, you know, in my mind, seeing you get behind a, a well-funded team that had the ability to give you all the toys, gadgets, and gizmos, that could once again turn the pro stock world on the head, on its head, well, I put think. It this, put it this way, it wouldn't scare me. See, that... That that to me would be very, very interesting to see, you know, you and your dad kind of have that ability to go in and just do things how you want to see it done and really turn someone loose with all kinds of uh, new innovative ideas. Right. We could even have the ability to slip a good motor in maybe. Yeah. You'd be like, hey, I, I know a guy that builds a motor. Let me, let me help you out, right? <laughs> now, Kurt, I always like to kind of wind the show down by asking my guests and you know, a fun and interesting question. And, you know, you've always been a, a gear jam and pro stock driver and whatnot. Is there any other form of drag racing, whether it be a nitro car or, you know, a small tire radio car, no prep that you would, if you were given the, the blank checkbook to do something, what would you drive besides a pro stocker? I don't know. I mean, whatever, whatever you drove, you'd want to be, better than everybody else at it you know so it would take laps and and i enjoy i enjoy driving a pro stock car i mean catching on fire doesn't excite me in a funny car but the actual run itself you know on a good run would be would be exciting um the thrill of excitement
acceleration has always excited me. But I don't know. I'm content. I'm not a. I'm not a wild and crazy guy. And pro stock was good for me. See, that's what's interesting is I pose that question to a lot of pro stock drivers, and that is nine times out of ten, like they're like, "This is all I want to do. This is what I want to do. I can maybe do something else." But it's like that that mindset of having that pinnacle ability to 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 mess with these cars is really what drives the class. Yeah, to to go out there and make good runs and put numbers on on the board and. And you're always wanting to make it better. That's that's where the key is. And I like the fact you threw in there you don't like enjoy being on fire because that is also one of the reasons why I doubt I would ever run a want to drive a nitro car myself is because, you know, it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when and how bad. Right, right. Well I've never I've never really driven anything but the truck and, and then the pro stock cars, so shoot, I'd have to it'd have to train me. We can just stick you in a in a pro mod. It's you know, two doors, pretty much pretty much the same thing. You know, just a couple extra numbers on there and a bunch more yeah. mile an hour. They say they're a handful. Yeah, that's they uh, a boring. If a pro mod run looks boring, it's probably slow. That's the only way I could describe it. Yeah, it's it's. I've set records before that you know how did this how did this thing go that fast? And it's just the fact that it was so smooth. Yeah. Whereas one of those cars, it's trying to kill you, and you're just trying to prevent that from happening, and then somehow in the middle, a fast run occurs. Oh, yeah. you got to stay on your toes on that pro mod stuff. Yeah, they, they, they can decide to make a left or right-hand turn with or without your permission. Mm, absolutely. Well, Kurt, our time here is coming to an end, and I like to give my guests their opportunity to you know channel the old inner John Force where he thanks all of his sponsors and everybody else on what's going on. So, uh I'll turn the floor over to you, my friend. You can tell people who you need to thank, what you got going on, where they can learn more, and, you know, just tell them what's up. Just pay attention to drag zine. That's all you got to do. <laughs> yeah. That's what we appreciate for sure. All right, Brian. Well, Kurt, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, man. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye.